Welcome to the Table Community Church Podcast. The Table is located in the Gallatin Valley in Southwest Montana and is joining God in bringing people together around the good news of Jesus. If you have any questions or if there is in any way we can serve you, please let us know by reaching out to hello at thetablechurch.us. Again, that is hello at thetablechurch.us. We hope you enjoy the following episode. Hey everyone, I hope you are doing well this week. Thank you so much for tuning in with us as we are continuing our series called I Am Jesus, where we are looking at the I Am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. And these are the statements that he makes like the one we looked at last week, I am the bread of life. And so what's important about this series is to, is to realize that when Jesus makes these statements, he is connecting himself to God himself whom revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush in Exodus 3 when he said, I am who I am. And so Jesus is saying these statements on purpose. And he is connecting himself to the story of God and the miracles and signs that God had done for his people. And he is saying all of those signs and all of those wonders and the ones that we see now even point to Jesus as the divine Son of God. And the reason we are doing this series is because we've begun a new year, and oftentimes we really get motivated with our New Year's resolutions, and a lot of them are really good resolutions, and so keep doing those. But the reason we're doing this series is so that we start 2021 with a biblical, healthy vision of who Jesus is as we engage the world around us. Because we talked about last week, we have no idea what 2021 will bring, but the first week of 2021. I wish it had a return policy because it's already been quite intense and controversial surrounding the political climate and the election and so much controversy surrounding that. And so I hope that as you prayed with your home group or online group that you felt the Spirit's presence bring you peace during this culture of unrest and that you were able to pray for the unity and reconciliation of our nation. This is such a critical time for us. We need to be in prayer. We need to be praying for all of our leaders that they would be open and responsive to the word and will of God and that God would begin to just vet out any sort of injustices, vet out any sort of violence. Um, That is certainly not the way of Jesus. There are ways to be involved, but aggressive and hostile violence is not one of them. It doesn't matter what party you belong to. The way of Jesus is not that. And so we have to figure out how we are going to engage this world. And so from where we sit as as a church, we think that we have to begin with the right vision of who Jesus is because that will shape everything about who we are and how we live and how we engage this world and how we engage our local context here in the Gallatin Valley to make important changes that need to happen here as well. And so be involved, be in prayer and keep seeking Jesus. And that's what this series is about, is seeing Jesus for who He is. And so last week we looked at, I am the bread of life. And this week, this I am statement that we're looking at, it almost leads to Jesus being stoned. It was that controversial. We find out that people are beginning to understand what Jesus means when He says, I am. And so us, us readers today, we, have a, we, we know the full story they don't. And so they are progressively coming to a realization of who Jesus is, and some of them like it, and some of them don't. And so this this week we're looking at, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. 
Now, Christy and I, we lived in Austin for a few years when we first got married. And if you've been around Austin, one of the taglines is uh, keep Austin weird. And Austin is a pretty strange place. We actually enjoyed living there though. But as you move around the Austin area, you find something that's kind of even more unique to Austin than anywhere else. And they have these massive towers that stand about, over, well, they're well over 100 feet tall. They're massive towers called Moonlight Towers. And there were once there were once dozens of them across the across the U.S. and they they were Austin purchased these particular towers from Detroit. Now these towers, they're huge and they use something called arc lighting. And the way that the lighting works is it's super bright, very bright. You can't stand directly underneath it without an umbrella. Now they purchased over thirty of them, but now they only have seventeen in operation, and they are the only moonlight towers in operation around the world, to our knowledge at least. And so they purchased these from Detroit. And in Detroit, if you go back and you look at some pictures, you see people walking in the darkness with an umbrella because these lights were so intense. Now, one of the reasons that people believe they began to put these lights in Austin was crime was increasing as Austin was kind of growing a little bit. And it was really concerning for people. And they said, you know, if we lit the skies at night, crime would go down. And so they put these, they put these towers in place and it was ridiculously bright. But this light came into this city and it caused a lot of division. You see, some people said we needed to lower the crime rate while the farmers and the agricultural workers said, this is not good for our crops. We're not going to be able to produce good crops with this amount of light. It was too much. And so this light came into a city and it created a sense of division over what was the right way and what was the wrong way. And that's an imperfect illustration of what we see in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus makes the statement, I am the light of the world. He makes the statement and it causes a lot of division. But the people he divides is not who you might expect. And so that's what we're going to be looking at as we unpack this story. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to John 8:12. As a home church or an online gathering, you have already read verses 12 through 59. We're not going to unpack it verse by verse, but we're going to read the main passage and then make some reflections and observations off of that. And so John 8, verse 12, it says this, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, we just celebrated New Year's. And one of the things that was interesting was to watch Cove and Maggie sit on the couch, look out the window and watch all the fireworks. And they were so, they were so mesmerized by them. And we do this every major holiday, not every major holiday, but a lot of major holidays like Christmas, July 4th and 4th of July, even Halloween, there's a lot of lights involved. And, and we love to look at these lights. They are attractive, but they're not lights just for light's sake. And they, they always illuminate a larger theme. You know, for example, no one goes on a drive to look at Christmas lights just to go, oh, those are nice lights on a house. No, they, they are immersed in the entirety of the season, what those lights represent. It's more than just lights. It's illuminating an entire theme that is important, that brings meaning and joy. And same with New Year's. When, when the fireworks go off, you don't think, oh, just more firecrackers. No, you, you are celebrating a larger theme of a new year coming. And same with July 4th, when we celebrate the independence of America. You don't sit there and go, sounds like a good day for hot dogs. No, these lights and fireworks are illuminating the larger theme of, of the American history. 
And so likewise, when we get into this text, I am the light of the world, Jesus is highlighting more than just himself. He's highlighting the themes that are drawn together from all of Scripture, and they have a lot of significance for us today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to survey those things as we put some context and then kind of summarize the large chunk of passage. And then we're just going to look at how the light of the world gives us life and gives us guidance and what we ought to do with that. And so let's just put some context and kind of summarize what we are seeing here. So this statement is coming. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's coming at a critical time. It's happening during the Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of the most joyous and festive feasts to the Jewish people. It's happening in Jerusalem. Jesus is in the temple, according to the text. Now, what would happen during this time is they would light these four massive 75-foot-tall candles. They would, they, would, they would replenish them with oil throughout the day, and they would burn every day from the second day of the feast to the last day of the feast. And what would happen when they lit these, these, these uh, candles? It was called the illumination of the temple. They would light these candles, and there was so much light that it would go throughout the temple and spill into the city. And so all of this light was coming out of the temple. And some ancient scholars or ancient, uh, ancient authors tell us that you, you couldn't imagine anything more beautiful. And during this festival, there were people throwing torches and lamps and lights and dances and all sorts of stuff. It was one of the most charismatic festivals that they had. And so it's about that time when they're lighting these candles. And those candles represented a few things. They represented God's presence in the wilderness when he led them by the light in Exodus for years, that pillar of fire that led them during the night. It also represented God's word. And so when they think about the light, they're thinking about that. And so they're thinking about God's presence and power in the history of their people. They light these candles. The light goes out of the, out of the temple into the city. And all of a sudden, when this is happening, in the midst of this festival, that's when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He says, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. He chose his moments well, didn't he? He is saying that he is the one that gives light to the world. And so the original audience and those who were actually in the story would have immediately understood what he was getting at. And that causes quite a controversy. It starts this conversation between him and the religious leaders. And they begin to debate. And so as you, as you, opened, the, as you opened this section of John in verses 12 through 20, we're just going to summarize these with simple statements. In verses 12 through 20, what you see is Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And the Pharisees turn around and say, no, you're not. You're a liar. You're a liar. You see, they knew he was claiming to represent God and his word. Because all of that section, verses 12 through 20, are about what does it mean to have a credible witness, and they're citing the law, and this law, and that law. And Jesus says, well, I am who I say I am. According to me, I know where I come from, and according to the Father, whom you don't know. And so there's this controversy beginning to stir, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And they say, no, you are, in fact, a liar. And Jesus says, you are thinking through things horizontally. You need to learn to see them vertically. If you knew the Father, you would know that I am the light of the world, but they were seeing things and judging things only through the human perspective. They were judging things based on what they see, not necessarily what's actually there. 
And so I think that's an important point. We often judge things by what we see. We, we judge things simply by external, not internal. And Jesus is saying you need to learn to discern spiritually as well as physically, vertically as well as horizontally. But they wouldn't because here's the thing. They thought they were the leaders of the law. They thought they were the ones who taught the law. And here Jesus is saying, I am the light, which represented and portion the law, and that he has the authority over it. And they're saying, no, you are a liar. And so in verses 21 through 30, they say, okay, well, tell us who you are. And he says, well, he says, I've already told you who I am, but let me tell you about you. And he goes on to make an emphatic statement. You will die in your sins if you don't believe. That's where you are. That's your position before God. Quite a controversial and harsh statement. And it is interesting who he's talking to. He's not talking to people who don't believe in God. He's talking to people who think they are right with God. And he says to them, you will die in your sins. And so what Jesus is doing is he's leveling the playing field. He's saying you're no better than anybody else. In fact, you may be worse off because you think you have a right condition and position before God, but you actually don't. And he says, so you will die in your sins. And he says, there'll be a moment where I am lifted up. And this is talking about the ascent, the, the death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And at that moment, people will deeply contemplate all the things he said. And he said, so when I'm lifted up, then you will know. And we see that unfold and we see that happen. And so at this, people are, are of course, wanting to believe because who wants to die in their sins? Who wants to die apart from the separation of God? And they're thinking, well, we need to believe. And so it says, many believed. That was verses 21 through 30. Now, if we're looking at verses 31 through 47, it's as if Jesus is saying, you believe, but will you follow me? But will you follow me? You see, he teaches them that it's not just about belief for Jesus. He teaches them they actually have to follow him. And so one of the things that's interesting is Jesus says, do you realize the depths of your sin? He says, you are enslaved to sin. That's an image of slavery, is that it's bondage. And they're very familiar with slavery given their history with Egypt and then with with Babylon, with Babylon, and then with Rome, they are very familiar with it. And he's saying, you are spiritually, you are spiritually enslaved. And this doesn't fly with them. They don't like this. You see, they believe, according to the text, that they come, that their, that their lineage makes them right with God. They come from Abraham, who fathered the nation of Israel, and they are Israel, and therefore, Israel is the chosen people of God, so they are all set. And Jesus says, no, it's not about that. Israel was called to be a light to the nations, but they became more obsessed with their position and privilege and not the mission and purpose of God. And so by doing this, they, for, they forsook God's call and gifting on their life to reach the world. And so they were saying, well, our lineage makes us right with God. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. They think sin is just all about actions. They say, well, we weren't born in sexual immorality. They were making sin just about the actions. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's the fruit of an unhealthy root in our hearts called sin. The actions are a manifestation of something that's happening inside of us that's got to be dealt with. And so for Jesus, he's saying that's sin. And unless we deal with that, you will die in your sins, which is a way of saying you will die and wither apart from God's grace and life if we don't believe and follow him. And so that stirs things even up more. And so in verses 48 through 59, as we wrap that summary up, he says, you don't know, Jesus says, you don't know the Father and neither lineage nor law can save you. 
And he goes on to say, before Abraham was, I am. And if they missed it before, they don't now. They now know what he means. Before Abraham was, I am. That's it. He leaves it there. And they pick up stones to kill him. And, he, and, he, and he's unharmed because it's not his hour. But notice, those who believed are the very ones who picked up the stones moments later to kill him. Why is that? And what's happening here? You see, Jesus is assuming that we live in darkness. We look around at the world and within our hearts, there is clearly darkness at work. He's saying you live in it. Not only do you live in it, it's in you as well. And Jesus seems to be thinking that wherever there's darkness, there will be withering and that our souls wither without Jesus, without the light coming in. And so in Scripture, darkness relates to a couple of things. It relates to sin, ignorance, fear, insecurity, and hopelessness. He's saying, this world without the light will wither. And the same is true of our own souls. And so Jesus is under the impression that we need the light. And so what does this light do? Well, we're going to talk about just two ways. The first thing, the light of the world gives life. You see, like the grass needs the sun, we need the light of Christ if our souls are going to flourish and if our world is going to flourish. Because in verses 21 and 24, Jesus makes it very clear twice that apart from Him, we will die in our sins. This is part of the problem is a lot of us don't think that we have a problem with sin. Maybe even some of us who have professed faith in Christ, but we don't have an ongoing habit of dealing with the sin in our life. Jesus says sin has a way of withering our souls, no matter where it's found. And so we have to come to the light as the light has come to us. You know, and I think as we look around the world and we just look at natural life in and of itself, we understand that things without light, they just die. Things without light, they just, they wither, they decay, and they eventually die. You know, so in darkness, we wither. We see this with all of life. You know, we see it with uh, physically. You know, again, if the grass doesn't have the sun, it dies. If, the, if, the, if we don't have the sun at all, the whole thing is falling apart and we're in some deep trouble. But not only that, we see this in things like our emotional health. You know, the cities that have the most rainfall and cloud cover are typically the most depressed cities and the higher rates of suicides exist in these cities. You know, in Japan, they, they, they understood this and they picked up on this. Japan has done something though That was interesting. They brought in blue light to light the streets at night. And what they found is that bringing that sort of light into the dark brought crime rates down and it brought depression down and suicide rates down. And so there was something about the light coming into the darkness that began to bring a sense of flourishing to people's souls. And other cities have done this as well. There's something about the light that just simply gives life. And Jesus says, that's who I am. It is a life-giving agent. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is not, he's not saying just a, as a nice saying. He's saying, I am literally the light of the world. This whole thing falls apart without him. And he has two things in mind, creation and commission. The first thing is creation. When you go back to Genesis, God spoke Let there be light, and then there was light. And when God speaks, that's the Word of God, and the Word became flesh. And so Jesus is saying, I was there, in fact. I am the light of the world, bringing and giving life to all of creation physically. And then he's talking about the commission, which means he's bringing life spiritually. 
You see, what's happening in the temple right now is the lights are being burned and the candles are sending light throughout the city. But what's interesting is that this is called the illumination of the temple and it's going into the city of Jerusalem. But Jesus stands there and he doesn't say, I am the light of the temple. He says, I am the light of the world, meaning the light that comes from him is not only going to shine throughout Jerusalem, but through all of the world, forecasting and foreshadowing the Great Commission that he has sent us on. He's not just talking about the temple. In fact, this idea of light and darkness, this is well-rooted in the history of God's people. If you go back again to the passages that we often read in Christmas, you can read all about light and darkness. For example, let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 8, verses 22, or 21 and 22, and then 9, 1 through 3. Hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, it says this, They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. The people walking in darkness, this is chapter 9, have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The prophet was writing to those who decided, I'm going to see things the way the world sees them. It says they will look to the earth. And then by looking to the earth, darkness, gloom, affliction, pain, dissension, destruction, all of it. And he says, but... Those who are faithful, they have seen a great light. And this light gives life and brings joy. This whole festival of tabernacles was about joy. The joy of the light of God brings joy. How is your soul? Could you say that your soul is experiencing joy? Even when this temple tabernacle, even when this tabernacle feast is happening, there was a lot of conflict politically. But it was in the space of this light that they found joy as a people. And so likewise, this tells us that in the light of Christ, we can access joy if we are seeing Jesus for who He is. And so not only that, let's read on. In John chapter 1, the beginning of John's gospel, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men that shines in the darkness, yet darkness did not overcome it. Wherever the light comes, withering is rejected. That's what he is saying. And he's saying, in, in, he's saying that light and darkness in Scripture are not equal forces opposing one another, like it is in other religions, darkness versus light, light versus darkness. No, it's definitely light versus darkness, but light overcomes darkness. There is no competition. It overcomes, it embarrasses the darkness, according to a passage in Colossians. That's the power of the light, and the light brings us flourishing and joy in our light, in our lives. And as it does this, it exposes the dirt in our life. It's like opening your blinds and then seeing the dust land on your cabinets. When the light comes in, we begin to see things clearly to be able to clean things up by the power and presence of the Spirit. The light is meant to illuminate our lives and then reveal the sin that we may repent and deal with it. That's the light of the world. And so this light gives us vision for all things. As C.S. Lewis says in The Weight of Glory, he says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe it that the sun has risen. 
not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The light of the world gives life, and by this life we are able to see. Jesus goes on in John chapter 9 to illustrate this by the healing of the blind man. And that story is about those who think they had the light actually didn't, and those who needed the light received it. And so it's a call to humility to allow the light to come in and expose what's in our hearts and be honest about it. And by doing this, we find life. And something beautiful is that God has a habit of showing up in the dark. From cover to cover in Scripture, He's always doing His best work in the dark. Into the darkness, He said, let there be light. Out of the tomb, He calls forth the light of the world. And not only that, not only in creation, in the cross, and the resurrection, but in new creation. Paul says we are a new creation in Christ. And so he speaks light into our withering and dark situation as the light of the world. God has a habit of showing up in the dark. So if you're in a situation where you feel like you are in the dark, hang on, hang in there, and look for the light. He has a way of showing up there. So that's encouraging. Now the next thing is that the light of the world gives guidance. The light of the world gives guidance. You see, in verses 31, 51, and 52, the Jewish people, they, they believed. But Jesus tells them, it's not only about belief, but will you follow my word? He says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. So the idea is that it's not just about belief. It's never been just about belief. It's about a life lived under the lordship of Jesus at every corner and every turn that we face. His word that they needed to listen to was that they were enslaved to sin and that they needed to believe in him and follow him, not the Pharisees, not the local politicians, him. They needed to follow him. And by doing so, they would truly be his disciples. Now, throughout Scripture, this word, the, the idea of the word, it means law, but also word, uh, like the Scriptures that we have. And it was referred to as a light throughout the Old Testament as well. It was referred to as a light. Again, that the, the candles also represented the word of God. He says, so if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. And we kind of, for Jesus, it's never been about belief, but about discipleship. And discipleship has a way of disrupting us. You know, Jesus steps into our life, the light exposes things, and then we have to make decisions about how we deal with the stuff that we see in our lives and in our world. You see, they didn't. The people who that Jesus, the people whom Jesus was talking with, they wanted to believe, they wanted deliverance, but they didn't want discipleship. Because we know this because by the end of the story, they're picking up stones to kill him. They were disrupted, and the disruption was too much for them to handle. And so they went back to their religious ways and avoiding a relationship with God that would bring life and joy and wholeness. And so it's never just about belief. And so the question is, is my life organized around the teachings of Jesus more than anything else? Because without it, like in darkness, we will stumble and we will live in fear. That's what happens in darkness. We stumble and then we live in fear. You know, we all know what it's like to get up in the middle of the night and to be walking around. Maybe you're getting a drink. Maybe you're getting a midnight snack. Maybe you're getting the baby and then you stub your toe in the dark. There, that's a new kind of pain. Every time it happens, it makes you so angry. You didn't know that much anger was in you when you stub your toe at night. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. And so <laughs> we know what that's like. 
And so what Jesus is saying is, in the dark you will stumble. You will stub your soul if you wander without Jesus. And not only that, in the darkness we fear. We all know what this is like. I mean, even as kids, we, we are scared of the dark. And as kids, we needed a nightlight. Kids need a light night. Not that the light necessarily can prevent anything, but it allows them to see things and brings them a sense of comfort that they wouldn't have otherwise. And even as adults, we get this. We get that there's still things that happen at dark that we don't like because it makes us scared. We fear the midnight phone calls because those are never good phone calls. We put curfews on our children to be in before dark because we get scared of what might happen. There is fear in the darkness. And not only that, we know the silly things that turn into fear in the darkness. We all know what it's like to have the ice machine that runs all day long and then all of a sudden at night, it sounds like someone's breaking in and you need to get a weapon and charge the living room ready for battle. But it's the ice machine. It's, it's kind of scary at night. Or perhaps you have a hanging coat or a pile of clothes on a dresser and all of a sudden it kind of looks like a demonic figure and you have to turn on the lights real quick to make sure that you know, nothing's quite there. We, we all know what it's like to both stumble and fear in the dark because there's something about, about darkness that unsettles us. And Jesus is saying, we need guidance. We need guidance and that the guidance is His Word and a life of discipleship is found in His Word and that as we do that, we will not stumble and we will not fear. The insecurity will be gone. The sense of, the sense of, of clarity will come in and bring peace. No longer will we stumble or trip, but we'll stand firm in faith in the Word of God. It's a beautiful illustration that Jesus is giving us. And the thing is, is we all know that those same those same issues of darkness reside in our hearts. We all know that we gossip. We all know that we tell white lies to try to make ourselves look better. We all, we all know that we might put somebody down so that we might get ahead. We all know that we hold other people to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to. I mean, if you don't believe me, you know, if you, you, you have lied to somebody at some point in time, but if they lie to you, you judge them far more harshly than, than you do yourself. I do that too, we all do. There's this hypocritical dark spirit within us at work, and we need the light of the Word of God. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And this, in part, means that He is revealing Himself, illuminating Himself through the Word. This raises an important question. By what or by whom am I being discipled? Because we are all being discipled in a particular direction. Every single one of us is being shaped by something or multiple things. And so the question is, is my life shaped by the teachings of Jesus? When they call Jesus a rabbi, when he's called the teacher, when he's called Lord and Savior, all of these images are meant to mean that he is above us at all times. We live under his teaching, his rule, and his reign. And so the question is, am I being discipled by him? I think the, a lot of the hostility that we see in our world today is a result of misdirected discipleship. I do. I think that a lot of us are tempted to give more weight to the media's words than we are the Word of God. Or, for example, some of us, you know, if, if just for an example, if, if I am more, if I am more articulate and literate with the latest social justice issues than I am with the scriptures that inform what justice ought to look like, then I may be being discipled in the wrong direction. Hear me out clearly. The gospel is not social justice, but the gospel does lead to social implications that bring wholeness to the world. 
but the gospel is not social justice. And if I am articulate and literate in all matters of social justice, but I can't cite the pages of scripture that inform that justice, I might be discipled in the wrong direction. Or if I am more articulate and literate with my favorite political commentator and my favorite political talking points, but I can't articulate and I'm not literate in the Sermon on the Mount, I may be being discipled in the wrong direction. It's okay to be passionate about these things, but we have to prioritize our loves. When we reorder our loves, we find a sense of freedom and vision that allows us to engage these things in the way that Jesus would, and we will be surprised by how effective they are. But ultimately, discipleship happens as we are organizing our lives under the pages of Scripture in prayer and in tune with the Holy Spirit and being held accountable in the context of a community. Discipleship's not a solo project either. There's no such thing as solo spirituality. It happens best in the context of community. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. The reason why he's going out to the world is to make communities of lights. So we have to ask the question, by what and by whom am I being discipled by? My, my greatest concern is how easy it is for us to take isolated passages of Scripture, whether we are Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever, take isolated passages of Scripture and have them squeeze into our agenda. And then we, and we use that to justify things. One of my concerns is the lack of biblical literacy in the church, theological literacy in the church. And that's a passion of mine, and I think that it's something that as the table, that's something we need to continue to commit ourselves to, is making sure we're not yanking passages out of their context to fit whatever agenda we might have, but that the Word of God is the agenda, and its agenda is for us, not the other way around. I love what John Stott says, the great Bible scholar and theologian. He says this, We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. No matter who we are, that's the truth. As the light of the world, He guides us. And as Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is guiding us through His word. And because we have sin in our hearts, if we are constantly reading the Bible and it never disagrees with us, we're probably reading it wrong, according to N.T. Wright. I think he's right on that. If we're always reading the Bible and it always agrees with us, then we're probably reading it wrong. The Word is like a, sword, a double-edged sword. It pierces us. It exposes us like a light does. And so will we organize our lives around primarily the teachings in Je of Jesus? And can I become more articulate and literate with the Gospel? That might be a good resolution to be more in tune with the Word of God in prayer and spirit and in community together. And so, we have life and we have guidance by this life, but what do we do with it? Well, simply this, be lights that bring life, wisdom, and beauty into the world. When we receive the light, the light ought to come into and then shine through us, much like it did in the temple. We are the temple of God, according to Paul. The light has come in and it is to shine through us. In fact, this is the only I am statement that Jesus says is true of his followers. 
That's an important point. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, it says, You are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights up a lamp and puts it under a basket, rather on a lampstand, and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And this text is telling us, do the things in the world that bring light and highlight Jesus. Live in such a way, speak in such a way, listen in such a way that it makes people curious about what it is in within you that brings goodness to the world. We are told to be lights in the world, and that's what we are to do with the light of the world. You see, we are attracted to lights because they not only expose and bring goodness and guides, but because they are beautiful to look at. There's something attractive about them. The church cannot lose its prophetic and attractive witness to the world. It will divide some. And honestly, when we look at the text, those whom this word divided were the deeply religious who had no concern for the outsiders. Those were the people that divided. The Bible is clear we will face hostility from people who don't follow Jesus. We will face hostility from outsiders. But this text divides the insiders over those who will actually care for people in the world as lights in the world and those who want to just focus on the inside. And so what we ought to do with this is we ought to receive the light of the world and then allow that light to shine through us by the way we interact with others in our society and in our city. Jesus is the light of the world who brings life and guidance and beauty into the broken world. Let's take the time this week to situate ourselves underneath His Word and allow it to illuminate our lives. Amen? Okay, we'll see you next week. Thanks for checking us out and listening to the podcast. We hope this resource has been meaningful for you during this time in your life. We invite you to share this episode and leave us a review to let us know how we are doing in sharing the gospel in our cultural climate. Be sure to check us out online at thetablechurch.us.